You know, it's not a proverb, but it probably could be. Blessed are the brief and you'll be asked back. But if you're long, you can forget it. You'll never get asked back again. You know, I remember one of the guys that kind of taught me in my faith, Bob Russell. I remember preaching my first sermon on a Sunday morning. That's been about 20 years ago. And I called Bob and I said, Bob, how long should I preach? He said, Chris, what I want you to do is I want you to grade yourself on what kind of speaker you feel like you are. One, poor, ten, excellent. And I could tell he wanted me to grade myself right there on the phone. So I, I said, okay, I'm ready. He said, okay, subtract two because you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> and multiply that by five, and that's how many minutes you have. So I'm, I'm going to close it up here in just a couple, couple minutes. Um, you know, I, I'm convinced that we've made this Bible a lot more complicated than what it really is. I really believe that. There's 66 books, over 40 authors. It covers a span of over 1,500 years, but there's only one theme to the Bible, and that one theme is this, to bring glory and honor to God. That in the Old Testament, it's the anticipation. I'm going to try to go through this Bible in 45 seconds. The Old Testament, you have the anticipation that they're talking about somebody that's going to come, and he's going to set the world free. In the whole Old Testament, they're anticipating one that's coming. Then you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the gospel. That's the manifestation that the guy that they're talking about in the Old Testament, he's here. You could see him. You could touch him. He's there. Then you have the book of Acts. That's the proclamation. That's when a bunch of believers get together, sort of like this. And we're proclaiming truth about the Messiah. That's the proclamation. Then you have Paul's 13 letters. That's the explanation how you and I are supposed to live our lives. It's our conduct manual. And then you have the book of Revelation. That is the consummation. That we as believers, we believe that one day Jesus is coming back. And he's taking those who believe in him with him to glory. So let me, let me before we open this word in 2 Timothy, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal, vibrant relationship with him, this will be the closest to hell you ever get. Listen to me talk. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ... This will be the closest to heaven you ever get. So I hope you take notes. You know, the Bible in 2 Timothy, what we're going to look at, if I, were, if I were a pastor at a church and going through 2 Timothy chapter 1, or 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, I would probably stay in it for about six months. I'm going to try to talk about it in 20 minutes. Okay. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. There's something special about just pulling out your Bible and looking at it. But if you don't have it, I'm going to read it. Here's what it says. It says, you therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To please the recruiter, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in concerns of everyday life. Also, if anyone wants to compete as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to be the first to get the share of his crops. Father, I just, I just pray just for the next couple moments, God, that you will just be exalted. God, as we take these six verses and kind of shake it like an apple tree, God, we'll run to the apples and we'll take a bite, but then we'll run back to the tree. And we know that that tree is your word. God, I don't want to speak with any manipulation. I don't want to speak with any um, 
wrongdoing. God, I pray that you will take over me just for the next couple moments that lives that we will all be different than the way we came in here this morning. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let me give you a little context of when this this book was written. There was a guy by the name of Nero and, and Nero was the emperor. He was the, the, the person that was in charge. And, and, and Nero was anti-Christian. So what Nero would do is Nero would have these field parties. And, and, and that's way before electricity time. But Nero had this great idea, being a hater of Christians. What he would do is he would take anyone that believed and professed to be believers in Christ. He would take them and he would stick spears and stakes through their bodies. And he would douse their bodies with butane and he would set them on fire to set up his field parties. So you get kind of the, the feel of the person that we're talking about that was in control during this time. Being a Christian back in this day cost you something. Cost you a lot. And see, we, we're in the mirage right now that you just wear a Christian T-shirt. You just kind of check a box. You go to FCA meeting and, and, and you're good. Back in this day, if you said you were a believer, it cost everything. So Paul's writing this book, and he's not writing it in, in the Galt House or the Taj Mahal. He's writing in what's called the Maritime Prison. It's a manhole of a cell. And he's writing this. And here's what he's saying. He is saying, Timothy, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, there's something special about that word grace. G R a C E God's riches at Christ's expense. There's something special about grace. There's a guy by the name of Jackie Robinson. He was recruited um, by Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey um, saw this young man, Jackie Robinson. He said, Jackie, you could be a great baseball player. But we live in a day and time, Jackie, where the color of your skin's gonna it's gonna come up a lot during the season. Are you okay with that? Jackie Robinson said, yes, I'm okay with that. I want to be a baseball player. Sure enough, he came on the scene. He did great things. Midway through the season, Jackie Robinson started to get really, really tough. People started to say things at him, started to throw things at him, making life very hard for this athlete. Jackie Robinson stood on second base one afternoon, and he started to cry. And that's when Pee Wee Reese came over and put his arm around him. And he touched him, put his arm around him. And he said, Jackie, I just want you to know that I'm in your corner. And I think you're making a difference. And if you ask Jackie Robinson what had changed his life, it wasn't that he was the first African-American to play baseball. It wasn't how many stolen bases or how many hits. If you ask him what changed his life, he would say it was that hug on second base that changed his life forever. And we have to remember the first time and the many often times that we feel the touch of Christ, that we remember what life was before we became a believer in Christ. There's something strong about the word grace. You see, a great football coach remembers when he's an athlete. A principal, a good principal remembers when they were a student. A good editor remembers when they were a journalist. Uh, well, good, and I use that term very lightly, a good Christian always remembers when they were lost. Then we were dying and going to hell without purpose. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
And then he's going to say, I, if, if I were preaching, I would spend a couple weeks on this. And, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, I want you to commit these to others who will be able to teach others. That is the law of multiplicity. That's what we are called to do. We're not called to, to, to get people to, to, to make a decision, so to speak. We want people to come and have a changed lifestyle forever. That is, that is why I loved having somebody come with me today. And him standing and him looking out here and seeing everybody looking at him, I want him to feel that feeling of knowing when he's got to land the plane and when not to use an illustration and why not to do this. And I want him to know what it feels like to have 10 minutes and feel what that weight is. That's what's called making disciples because I get to get him in the car when we get to go back to University of Louisville. And one of the questions who I ask is, hey, man, what? I've, I've been around it long enough. What, what can I do a little different? Give me, give, me some, give me some criticism. That's what making disciples is all about. You know, in 1925, they, um, in South Dakota, they created what was called or, or, um, Mount Rushmore. And what they did is they put these faces in this mountain that had been very influential in our heritage. And I want to ask you, who are the Mount Rushmores of your life? Who are the people that you entrusted with the things? Because I'm convinced that we need three people in our lives. Everybody has to have these three people. Everybody has to have a Paul. Everybody has to sit down and be looking at somebody and have someone teach them about life. Oh, I remember the Pauls in my life. I remember a guy by the name of Tommy Nelson in Denton, Texas that taught me the Bible. He made the Bible come alive in my life and God used him in an incredible way. I remember Steve Wigington. Steve Wigington used to take me to high schools and middle schools and I used to just watch Steve. And then one time Steve asked me to stand up and share. And I remember that feeling and I remember that ride back and saying, Steve, what could I do a little different? And Steve shared with me. Steve taught me what it's like to be a godly man. He taught me what it's like to be a, a, a Christian husband and a Christian father. Who are those Pauls in your life? Because I'm convinced that as I look around, there's some people with some gray hair and no hair that, man, they can do some wonders with people. Some of the greatest in my meetings I've ever been in is older men sitting in a crackle barrel just listening. When I went to Denton, Texas, Tommy Nelson taught me about ministry. And I remember there's one time he took me into an elders meeting. And I walked into this elders meeting, and right before we got into the door, he looked at me and he said, Hey, Morgan, you're not allowed to talk in here because you have nothing to contribute. You just listen and you learn something. And I remember going to that meeting and sitting down, and now I've, ta I've carried that over in my life that when I sit in the presence of some of you men that have done life, I just want to listen. Do you have some Pauls in your life? Second kind of person is everybody needs a Timothy. Everybody needs somebody they can disciple. And the third kind of person is everybody needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs somebody that can just encourage them. Do you have those people? If you don't, why not? Because this verse tells us that the things that we have heard in the presence of many witnesses to go and entrust them to others who will be able to tell others.
who will ever be to others. The worst travesty is an older man that gets older in his age in the 70s and 80s. But when he was 18, 19, 20, when he's Colin's age, he had a, a vision and a dream to change the world for Christ. He gets older, gets married, have three kids. Now he's got a weed eat. He's got to cut grass. And the vision that went from changing the world, guess what it goes to now? It goes from the world to the United States and from the United States to Kentucky, from Kentucky to Louisville, from Louisville to Fairdale, from Fairdale to your address. And before you know it, what a vision that changed the world, now you just pick up your Bible and you blow off the dust and you give it to your grandson. You say, son, I can't do it anymore. I got a weed eat now. That's nowhere in the scripture. Man, I believe that we need men, that we need women to stand up and entrust the things. If you give a person a fish, you'll eat for a day. But if you teach a person how to fish, you'll eat for the rest of his life. Paul says, Timothy, I want you to take these things and entrust them to others who will be able to teach others also. And then what he's going to do is he's going to give us an illustration. He's going to say, let me, let me put some skin on this real quick for you. And in verses 3, he's going to say, share in suffering as a good soldier. To please the recruiter, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of everyday life. Let me, let me just kind of just park it here just for a second. The first word that kind of jumps off the page to me is suffering. You know, I wish we lived in the world of the cable TV preachers. Man, where you just, you just give your life to Christ and, and you never gain weight, you never get sick, you drive a Lexus, your bank account's always full. Um, this is perfect existence. Let me tell you something that is a lie. We suffer because he suffered, but we suffer with a purpose. Big difference. I wish we just kind of rode up to life like a drive through at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, give me two offbeat patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Thank you. That's not it. But we will trust as a soldier. There's something about a soldier that's very significant. What a soldier has is distinct focus on the task at hand. December, December the 7th, 1941. Most of you probably in here remember that date. It's a little bit before my time, but what they do is they tell me it went something like this. On the radio, you hear an announcement. If you're a soldier, you report back to base immediately. All leaves from here on out are canceled. We are at war. And the government and the country didn't care if you were at a t-ball game or if you were at a rook tournament. You had to report back because we were at war. You were fighting for a higher calling. And that's what Paul wants us to realize, that we suffer as a soldier of Christ Jesus. When I sat in that discipleship training in Denton, Texas, I sat in the front row and I would fight you for that front row seat. OK, there were 40 men throughout the country. And what Tommy Nelson did is he poured out the Bible in our lives. And I remember in this one instance, here's what he said to us. He said, men, there are three D's that will take you out of ministry. And here are the D's. The first one is um, deceit. That you may get caught up in some false doctrine, false teaching. 
you'll be deceived. The second one, you'll get caught in some kind of um, scandal. You'll um, lose the right to be heard. You will become disqualified. Those two D's will get you really quick and very few of you will ever fall into that. However, the third one, each and every one of you guys, and he's pointing at us, each and every one of you guys are going to have to deal with this one. And that third D is the word distraction. Where you will become distracted and the main thing is no longer the main thing. And he said, Morgan, he pointed me out, you don't be an illustration for somebody to use. You stay focused. You know, I often get a chance to talk to coaches. And one of the things that I always talk about with coaches, and it's the same way in our lives. Whether you coach, whether you teach, whether you're retired, whatever it is, that you have these, these kind of like balls that we juggle. We juggle balls constantly. We have our career ball. We have our... Um, Entertainment ball, we have our money ball, we have our family ball, we have all these different balls that we are juggling. However, some of these balls are made of rubber and some of them are made of glass. That if you drop some of these balls, they'll bounce right back up. However, if you drop some of the balls that are made of glass and they drop, those are hard to repair. Sometimes they're never, ever repaired. So let me ask you, keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul says, suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And here's the second one, because it's possible. Let me back up. It's possible that you can climb. We can climb this ladder of success only to get to the top of the ladder and realize that the ladder is leaning against the wrong roof. We don't want to succeed at all the wrong things. Over my 17 years, I've worked with a lot of different athletes and a lot of different coaches. And if I died today, there'll be a lot of athletes, coaches come by. But at the end of the day, they're gonna go back and they're gonna go to work. And there's gonna be a pretty little blonde and three little girls, they're gonna weep over my casket. They'll weep. So I want to make sure that I keep the main thing, the main thing. As a believer, this is it. This is our playbook. This is what we live by. We must remain focused. The second one is this. I'll kind of go through these a little bit more faster. Um, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Back in this day and time, they had what's called the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games. What they would do is these people would compete. It's kind of like our modern day Olympics. They would have this run, but they would have this strict diet, this rigorous exercise. What they would do is they would, when they, right before they competed, they would stand in front of what's called the bema, or the judgment seat. And the person would look down and they said, did you compete according to the rules? One day we will all stand in front of the bema, or the judgment seat of Christ. As a soldier, we have to be focused as an athlete, we have to be disciplined that we don't do what our body wants us to do. Paul puts it like this. I buffet my body and I make my body my slave. And here's the third one. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Now we could take this a lot of different avenues, but the, 
just in keeping illustration purpose. Soldier, athlete, farmer. I've lived in Louisville, Kentucky. I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and I've lived in Texas for a while. It's never been farm, okay? It's always been city. But I've learned a little bit about farming just by looking and reading some things. Some of you all are farmers that come from a farm. I'll tell you this about farmers. You never see, you may see poor farmers, but you never see lazy farmers. Because if you see a lazy farmer, you see a dead farmer. And what they tell me is that you, what you do is you till this ground, you plant these seed, and then you pray that God will make it rain. That's what we need to do. We need to be focused. We need to be disciplined. Yet we need to be hard workers. I'm not ever one that believes that you just lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. That we work. We work for the kingdom of God. Let me, um, let me close it with this story. True story. This, this, this man was a very, very wealthy man. Owned a lot of land. Owned a lot of farm equipment, cattle, had all kinds of stuff, big house, fell in love with this lady. They started a court. They got married. She got pregnant. They were going to have a son. As time went on, pregnancy was going great. As she delivered the son, the lady died. The man was heartbroken. But he loved the son. He loved the son like none other. And the son grew up. And at age 12, this very, very wealthy, rich man, 12-year-old son, got very sick and died. The old man didn't know how to handle life without his wife and his son. So what he did was, he didn't know what to do. His life just kind of went downhill, and he, he actually passed as well. What were they going to do with all of this stuff? He made out a will, and they got the whole community together. The whole community got together to buy this old man's stuff. The auctioneer comes up, and he stands on the, on the stage, and he says, okay, we're going to start the auction, our first item, and he pulls up this big portrait, oil painting of the sun. We're going to start the auction with this picture. Nobody's hand goes up. Surely someone will want the picture of the sun. Nobody. Older lady in the back raised her hand and she said, you know what, I'll, I'll buy it. I babysat that boy a couple times. I'll, I'll buy it. She walks forward. She gets the painting. She goes back and she starts to get out of her minimal fee for the painting. The auctioneer comes back, he stands on the stage, he takes the gavel. Our auction is now closed. Because in the will it states, whoever takes a son gets it all. Wow. You're talking about salvation. You're talking about a wonderful story. Whoever gets the son gets it all. 
And it may not be right now that you think, man, I don't got a whole lot of all. I know that. Hold on. Because I've come this to realize about my faith. That my anchor will hold. In any storm. That as you sang this song earlier, it is well. I just bubble up inside. It's all well. If you have the son. And it's possible that you could be here today and not have a relationship with him. Well, today's not your lucky day. It's your ordained day by God. You've got, an, you've got a phenomenal pastor that loves you guys. He loves this body. Thank you all for allowing us to be part of your day. Um, if you don't have a relationship, I know he's going to have an invitation here shortly. Maybe it's to join the church. Um, you, you'll, you'll be joining a good one. Okay, I can tell you that. Let me pray for us. Father, I just um, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for, um, for this church. God, I pray that you just um, continue to do great and mighty things with them. Lord, if there's anybody here that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that today will be the day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.